We are a band of brothers, diverse yet unified, aligned to pursue the truth, resolute in our commitment. We are stronger together, and you are one of us. This is the Brotherhood Podcast. Brothers, welcome to the podcast. Today we get to jump in and talk about and break down our February breakfast with Michael Rapogel. Uh, Michael, I hope I'm saying that right. I thought I did in the intro for the other one, but then actually when I was listening to the recording, I heard more of a rep logo instead of a Ropoglo, which is I think what I said. But anyway, so apologies in advance for that. But as always, I have with me Matt Schrader. Matt, say hello to everybody. Hello, hello. Yes, great to be back on. Love this podcast. Love being able to interact and chit-chat with you about our Brotherhood Breakfast. They are quite influ- influential and impacting in my lives and the community around me. So this is fun. Yeah, so this uh, this last breakfast was a little bit more of an interview style instead of a actual presentation or, or keynote or whatever, whatever you want to call it. So th- this one's going to be interesting because I feel like when you already have a person interviewing that you're kind of developing some of the the, the thoughts there. So I, I have some notes. I don't know how long this one's going to be, um, but I'm 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 excited to dig into it because I think some of the themes that we that uh, Lee and, and Michael talked about are definitely themes that we've hit on here on this podcast and and we've been able to dig a little bit deeper into. But I'm gonna I'm gonna flip the script today, and Matt, I'm gonna let you lead off in terms of like kind of what you got out of the beginning of it, and then we can kind of. I can kind of add some of my stuff, but normally I jump in and just kind of hit the ground running. And I'd, I'd like to give you the opportunity to, to start on your side and, and let's see where this goes. Wow. Absolutely. Thanks. That's, that's if you can't see, there's so, like absolute like shock and horror on Matt's face terror. right now. Like I'm throwing him a curveball, <laughs> yeah. and uh, there's this one tiny bit of sweat just going right down, right down the face right oh, now. Oh man. <laughs> I didn't know we were going to be that vulnerable. All right. Yeah. That is a, uh, yeah, so I'm just you can hear the the shakiness <laughs> of my voice. So I'm just gonna lead off. No big deal. Uh, the I'll answer is Jesus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, <laughs> um, well. So yes, interview format, fantastic. And when you listen to the podcast, you can even hear Lee does some buttoning up where you you can take. He even mentions I'm gonna take two questions. I'm gonna make them one, so we can get right to the heart of the matter. So the overview was tremendous. Probably the best. Well. The best interview, in my opinion, that we've had at this point, and it was because there was some raw emotion that happened. You know, Michael invited his family. He invited, you know, if you know Michael, he is the kind of guy that the first time he meets you, you love him. He loves you. He remembers you every time. It's like you guys have been friends and you've never talked about for five minutes. He's got that kind of personality. So the whole crowd feels like they know. And he starts talking, he starts discussing things. Everybody kinds kind of knows his story because he gets featured. He's got a great testimony. He's the kind of guy you want to feature when you're talking about um, big, obvious change when Jesus enters somebody's life. But then it's kind of moved into a very emotional space. And, you know, the overall theme was the impact of your father on you. And they did a great job, him and Lee, of kind of making us reflect in our own space. You know, we're hearing about Michael's journey, which is, you know, he talks about, let me see if I can get this right. Um, he talks, he calls them W's. So I've called them G's, you know, glory, girls, and gold. And he calls them W's, women, weightlifting, and something else. Um, it started with a W. But, 
you know, those three things that we as guys face. And man, he was pursuing these different things and got them. Yeah, work, work, so, working out, and women. That's what it was. Work, I think that's that's what BW threes actually stands for. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> wow, I didn't realize it was that space. Yeah, okay. it's a, you think it's a chicken um, one place, but not so much. Really? So I'm I'm surprised they could even pull that off oh, in this man. day and age. No. I mean, they you serve really good wings and everything. Just you know, ain't that the truth? Just over I mean, it, that's how it works. That's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> I like this side of the the uh, podcast. This is now I know why you like doing these with me. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the whole time, Michael's wanting some approval from his dad. You know, he uh, he tells a story, or maybe you told this story too, of the photo that gets, that gets passed around on Facebook of the guy who named his boat. He buys a big old boat, and he names his boat. Hey dad, who's the loser now? Yeah, that that was uh that was yeah. uh, Pastor Witt. He he shared that story. Yeah, okay, yeah. all right, all right. So so it keeps narrowing into this space of Michael's relationship with his dad, how it was terrible, didn't go well, how he basically started to repeat it in his own life. That uh all of that, all the different elements he has in his life brings him to a suicidal point. And then through some professional help, through some community help, and finally through just submitting to the real Jesus, and he turns his life around and finds him in a space where he starts getting approval from his heavenly father. And then it gets real emotional. Like I was just listening to it a few little while ago, and I had briefly forgotten about the part where he apologizes to his children yeah. in the middle of the and you're like, oh, okay, so Talk about, you know, it's about to be waterworks here, everybody. And anybody who's got, like, any kind of dad stuff it starts to feel that. Man, but it was incredible. You know, I had invited some guys, and I was a little nervous because they're not used to this kind of stuff, and they loved yeah. it. And I was so that kind of vulnerability was neat by Michael, and he did a fantastic job with it. He did, you know, Lee, of course, dug on some stuff. I'm sure we'll get a little bit further you know, I don't know. So since I'm opening, who's running this track point-by-point point breakdown? <laughs> well, I just want – I wanted to get your thoughts. I wanted to get uh, kind of your overall overall feel of everything. I think you did a really good job recapping it. So uh, love all love all people, honor the uh, brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. I think we're done. <laughs> That's yeah, it. We're, we're out. <laughs> now, I, there's, a, there's obviously a, a lot of stuff in there that I think we can talk about. But I, I think uh, – First of all, if you haven't listened to that that message, please go back and listen to it. It should be the one right before this. Um, but there's there's some things that definitely stood out to me. The first one was he, he talks about his first memory as a kid and and just how impactful that was. Uh, and this, this is kind of going back to just uh, what I would call a desire for a father. Like, I feel like that's an intrinsic thing. Like, I don't think you know at age, I think he said he was 18 months. I don't think you know at 18 months, like how important a moment is. Like, but for whatever reason, that was really impactful to him to the, to the extent that he basically said that after that event happened where his, his mom and dad had a fight, his dad broke the chair left that Michael was always looking out, looking out the window for dad. Like not only did he remember that moment, which I think if I go back, I don't think I can remember like less than 10 years old, maybe like memories from that. That's for me, that's like 10 years ago, but for you, I know that's a little bit more, but <clears throat> like thinking back that far. <laughs> okay is like really difficult, but that's like, 
that's like burned into his memory. There's and there's a couple of moments that he talked about that just burned into his memory. And I, I wanted to kind of make the point of just like we as humans, like how God has created us to, to have that desire for a father, but to also be able to recognize the weight of that moment and the, the weight of that decision and, and how it's impacted his life all the way through up to now. Like, I know that you're thinking mom and dad when you're a little kid and then dad leaves and he doesn't come back. Like, I, I would think that that would be impactful, but I wouldn't think it would be that impactful. Like to the point where it's just like 18 months old. I remember that memory like it was yesterday. I remember exactly what I did. I remember what the what the blanket felt like uh, on the floor that I was sleeping on when you know I was hoping that my dad would open the door and hit me and, and wake me up with it. I mean, that for me was like really eye opening because I've never been through that kind of experience. But at the same time, it 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 kind of gave me a win- window into this inherent need that we have for a father that I believe that there's a, there's a physical need for that. And there's a spiritual need for that. And I think that Michael kind of weaves in and out of that analogy throughout the entire conversation that we have, because we're going to talk further on to where the, the uh, you know, the situation has slipped. He's the father now and he's in that role and he has kids and he was probably thinking, and I, I think that he admitted that he was thinking that I actually selfishly thought that my kids would be better off without me, which essentially emulated that exact same situation that he had when he was 18 months old. So just, just kind of recognizing that part of it and the, and then the role that God plays as a father for us and how important that is. And that in, intrinsic desire that we have for, for a need for God in our life, but also how he describes himself to us as our heavenly father. And just that role that we're, you know, continually uh, being told throughout the Bible of, you know, who God is to us and why he chooses that kind of relationship. And I think that that's not a coincidence. I, I think that those two desires combined are perfectly illustrated in Michael's story because especially now when I'm in the role of a father, I have a much greater perspective of God's view of me as a father looking at as me as his child, because I can, I can relate in, in a very small percentage, a, a little bit to how God feels about me, which is weird because, you know, we're, we're created beings. God created us. He has this love for us, but it's, I think a lot of people struggle with like, how could a God of the universe care so much about me in Oklahoma or, or me in America or, or, or me wherever, like there's billions of people on the earth. How, and that's just counting like who's here right now. So just looking at all those different things, it's hard to fathom those things. But I think in some cases you start to understand and God continues to reveal himself uh, through stories like this. Yeah. The the significance, insignificance battle that we go through. Michael, while not saying this directly, speaks to that theme of how our dad relates to us is then how we view ourselves a lot of factors in there but to simplify it for this message here it's how we, how our dad relates to us it's how we view ourselves and then we end up viewing god in relationship to ourselves that way so then it starts to shape and starts to shape how we think so then go with me on this like i started to think you know how did he become his dad you know he says that you just mentioned it where he says in a moment, 
I realized I was doing the same thing my dad did. But, you know, in reference to thinking that my kids would be better off without me. So how did he become that when he would probably have said up to that point, most people say, I don't want to be that. Well, you know, we chased that picture in our head. And with that, until he replaced it with the real Jesus, he continually saw that picture of a dad, that picture of a dad who wasn't around his family, who did things outside of that family dynamic. And then he ended up becoming that. And without God changing the picture we see inside of our heads, we are doomed to become the very thing we grew up with. And that's, that's a tough reality, but there's a, an incredible redemption. Yeah. I think part well. of it ties into some of the things he was talking about, like, you know, his insecurities, he would fill in the blanks with something negative about himself. So he would be like, my dad didn't like me because of that. Like he left me because I'm not strong enough. He left me because I'm not smart enough. He left me. So all of those little, uh, little insecurities that he would think about would become the reasons why his dad had left, which was that true? No, it, it, it wasn't true at all. I mean, the kid, he was 18 months old when, when that happened. I mean, going further into his stepfather, his stepfather didn't have the same connection with him. It, it was not his, you know, Michael was not his biological child. Does that make his res response to Michael or how he raised Michael uh, acceptable? Absolutely not. Cause it sounds like that was not the greatest upbringing, but I think, I think what happened was because he was constantly searching for that, he wasn't getting that from, you know, his, his biological father and his stepfather that he just started to believe all of the lies. He believed all the insecurity uh, about himself and that became his truth. So he tried to, he tried to offset it, right? He tried to be successful. He tried, like he had this desire and this drive for success because he thought maybe if I can do these things, I'll get that attention. I'll get that, you know, Hey, Hey son, I'm proud of you moment, which, you know, in retrospect seems like very basic, like a very basic sentence, but at the same time, that was everything that drove his desire to get there. Cause he's like, if only I can do these things, I can overcompensate for the failures that I have, the insecurities that I have and ultimately get my father's acceptance. But I think that also shaped his view of God to the extent that he said that, uh, he believed that God's viewpoint of him was, he was only one mistake away from being a total screw up. And so, you know, his relation his relationship with God started off based on the uh, the father relationship that he had as a as a kid. Like that's where he was starting his relationship with God. There was no point of reference at all because every every loving father reference was completely foreign to him. Like because he was just like, well, if my father didn't love me, how can the creator of the universe? love me? How can he accept me? Because basically, you know, no matter how driven I am, he sees all my flaws, he sees all my mistakes, and I can't live up to the expectation of, of something like that. And I think that's where you get to the path of, I, I believe that my kids will be better off without me. I'm such a screw up. I believe all of the lies about myself that instead of just being there for my kids and loving my kids, that's not enough. I have to be these things. And because I know I can't be those things, then they're better off without me. I, I think that's how you get there. Yeah, I think you're dead on. You know, I think when you hear such an extreme story, 
I mean, it's it's probably easy. I would say it's easy to disconnect yourself, and while be impacted by the story and the emotion of it, you don't take it to your own personal level. But I would challenge I challenge myself, you of course, and then anybody listening. You know what lies are we believing about ourselves that then separate us from the people we should be influencing? You know. If you're listening to this podcast or in my situation, maybe if I assess myself, I'm not the dad who thinks, yeah, my kids would be better off without me. I'll leave or I'll you know, commit suicide or whatever. Maybe it's not to that degree, but in what areas am I not sharing a certain part of me because I believe the lie that says, ah, my kids, they don't need to hear that. Or, you know what, uh, my kids still think less of me if that happens. Or, you know, if I don't continue to keep up this mirage, this image of this certain strength or this certain uh, machismo, you know, my kids, my wife, they'll see the, the, who I, who I am. You've talked about this a number of times that, uh, fraud feeling that, uh, imposter syndrome. Um, you know, that's where I'm having to take a practical application is what lies. And honestly, I've been around since that breakfast, I've been around two other men that are doing things. They've made actions. Um, you know, They've they've made decisions inside their families without getting into details that have ostracized them from their families. And they believe deep down somewhere, they even express it in a Christian-y kind of way because they're, bo- they're both believers. They're both people that are in the community of faith, so they kind of have to navigate their words. They can't say things like, ah, you know, my kids are better off without, without me. They just say, you know, ah, you know, I'll have a better relationship with them if I just don't live with their mom. You know, I have a better relationship with them uh, if I can just not have – you know, the, if I can get out of the marriage and go date this other woman, you're like, uh, no, that's not how it works, bud. Like, you know, so that there's lies that they believe. And so then I've had to start taking account in my life. Okay. What areas am I believing a lie rather than the word of God, the truth that says that talks about God in me being greater than he who's in the world. So, you know, to take that down to a very small level in our own hearts, no matter who's listening in this podcast or in this conversation talking about this breakfast, we're all in a place where we can start looking at very small lies that the enemy's feeding us. And are we believing them? Or are we replacing them with the word of God? Cause you mentioned that, that as he's filling his head with the, uh, up with those lies, it's on us to replace those with what the word of God says about ourselves, our situation, about our relationships, whatever it may be. You know, it brings me back to what Pastor Witt said when he said, if you want to find out what Jesus would want in your life, go read about what he already said in the Word of God. Like, that's the that's the first indicator of what he wants for you as his child. Yeah, I think uh, a couple of things on that. One, um, he talked he talked about, well, I actually think Lee brought it up. He said that strong men can still be, be wounded. I, I think he was kind of making the analogy that, you know, that Michael's kind of a man's man. And you know, he puts up a really good front, like from the outside looking in, he looks successful. He looks like he has it all together. All those different things combined, you go, I don't see how Michael would be struggling with that stuff. But what Lee was kind of saying was like, don't hide your wounds, not just because you're strong. Like you're not, you don't, don't hide your wounds because you're strong. You actually need to kind of uh, have that brotherhood so that people know the things that you're going through because like you were or like we were talking about earlier just 
replacing those thoughts. Like if, if people know that you're dealing with those insecurities, they can help you along that journey. And I think that the natural inclination is to hide those wounds, present strength, and then those wounds get infected and, and they, and they, they get way worse than they should be because you're not dealing with them. You're allowing them to fester. You're, you're allowing those things to develop inside of you. And next thing you know, you're not the strong, strong man that you thought you were. You don't have a brotherhood around you because you have, you've, you haven't allowed people to come in, uh, in the small things. And those small things have now become big things. And now you feel completely overwhelmed because you don't think that you can handle the situation. You think it's too, you're going to burden people too much with the situation. And the reality is that people do care. People care about you. They want to invest in you and you got to let them in. If you don't let them in, you're not going to, you're not going to grow. But at the same time, you're not going to create those relationships, those pathways to building more relationships. I, I think when you think about some of your closest friends, is it because everything was good when you were with them or was it because of some of the adversity that you went through together, the history, the things that you've overcome, the challenges that you faced, you know, maybe you played on a, te a team together. You went, you went through wins, you went through losses, you went through absolute battles together there. That becomes a brotherhood. And I think a lot of times people can see when you're injured and they know no matter how much we want to hide it, they probably are intuitive enough to figure it out. And then if you're not letting them in, they're just going to stop asking at some point uh, because they don't, they don't know what else to do. They don't want to offend you. They don't want to damage the relationship that they have with you. And if they, if you keep saying, you know, Hey, I, are you okay? Is something wrong? Like, you know, how are you in this situation? Like, I can tell that like, maybe it's, it's bothering you. You're like, no, 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 I'm good. I'm fine. Well, then they're just going to stop asking. And then you're going to circle back two, three, four weeks later and be like, I don't think anybody even cares about me. I've been, I've been dealing with this whole problem for a month now and I got nobody. I, I don't have a, a person that can, can walk me through that. And it's because you pushed them all away because you were trying to project strength. And I think that, you know, Michael is a good example of what to do and not to do at the same time, <laughs> because, you know, the early part of his life was a lot of, I, I'm trying to put it on my shoulders. I'm trying to man up. I'm trying to overcompensate for these perceived weaknesses that I have so that my father will love me. Like, and then I'm seeing success and that I'm seeing the, you know, the results of that from other people, but not from the people that it matters most from. And it gets all the way to the point where uh, I, 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 I laugh, but at the same time, it's, it's very, uh, it's really tough to hear. Um, I think Lee said something to the effect of you, you were so successful that you wanted to kill yourself. <laughs> and it's, it's just one of those things where it's like, man, that, that really well summarizes the journey that he was on, that he projected so much strength, so much success, so much of the drive that he had got him to a, a, a point that we would classify as successful. And on the inside, he was just like, the world would be better off without me. And that is the ultimate uh, irony of the situation. Yeah. So when we uh, unpack that, man, I'm, I'm, I'm letting that kind of resonate a minute because the idea of being so successful that you wanted to kill yourself is a, it, you almost can say it too quick. Um, so it's. Well, 
to kind of tie into that a little bit too, I think Dr. Neiman hit it on the head when, when he was talking about some of the other stuff. He said that you develop skills as a kid that worked really well, but they won't work for adulthood. So it's like some of the things that drove him to the success that he was in now um, are not necessarily the, the tools and, and, and things that you need to be a good father, to be a, uh, to finish life well, to, to lead a family. Like you went from survival mode to you didn't necessarily need to survive from a financial standpoint, but you, you don't have the skills set that you need to, to lead your family well. And I think that's partly because of everything we talked about before of, of projecting that strength and having that drive, but that's just not sustainable. Yes. So inside that statement, all of what we're talking about here is this idea that you are presenting this image of success, this um, false pretense, when actually inside, if Michael had been truly walking in what we know is real success, he wouldn't have wanted to kill himself. And that's from a, if the external stuff had internal meeting, in meeting all the way to just the internal attributes of, having a great relationship with God, great relationship with your wife, your kids. So like you present this false sense of strength over and over and over to people and really to yourself. Cause if I may just open up the door to my own kitchen, I, when I did that or when I do that, I really am lying to myself. So if we were to get together and I'm going through a crisis, you ask me what's going on. I'd say, yeah, I'm fine. I got it. A lot of times I've convinced myself I'm not lying to you. The person I'm lying to is myself because I believe you said earlier, you know, that it became his truth with the, uh, it's kind of the hint that somebody has taken something and called it truth when it's not. And as long as you continue to lie to yourself about where you're at, you will, that, that will lead you to lying to others or somehow keeping from others. You know, the thing I've experienced most recently is walking along with men who don't tell me really what's going on they tell me enough going on that i that it makes me feel like they're telling me the full thing and i mean i'm guilty of it too packaging information re you know kind of saying it marketing it in such a way that it doesn't sound as bad as it is and but there is a place to where that becomes split there's a place to where you're like okay i'm not just gonna you know break down in tears right here in the middle of this place but then there's also a place where like, you're really not telling the truth. You're not telling the truth to yourself. You're not telling the truth to me. And you're presenting, you're trying to create this idea or this picture that you think everybody else wants to see. And they don't, they don't like, it's, it's disappointing to meet people and some huge crash happens in their life. And I'm like, man, I was right there. Like we've talked a lot. How did you not express this? How did you not tell me? How did you tell me this little bitty version? And not the big version. When I was ready to listen to it all, not judging what's, in fact, I'm sharing my own stuff with you. Like, that's what you've got to be leery against. And I think it solves, it's solved by being honest with yourself, being straight up with yourself and being like, this is the legit me. You know, I am legitimately this way. This is who I am. And then that, of course, brings you back to God. You've got to trust that God's not going to judge you on that. And then I go, of course, that brings you back to what Michael said, which is like, if, a God knowing all my problems and all my issues, how is he going to love me? Like he knows everything, man. That it's just, 
you got to buy into Jesus loves you. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Like that's what you got to buy into. You can buy into that, man. Everything starts to unfold from there, and you start to prevent these major life issues. You know, Michael. Fortunately, you know, it sounds I believe uh, his marriage came back from adultery. His marriage came back from affairs. They were able to rebuild. Not everybody has that option. Not everybody uh, has or goes through that and is able to have that kind of mercy. So you guys start telling yourself the truth. And one of the statements that I really wanted to hone in on is where uh, he had, I think this is still a Dr. Neiman quote, which says, it's not enough to believe in God, even the demons believe. But what he said is you have to believe God. And I felt like, I felt like that was really nuanced. Like, mm, that's good. Like he said it and I was like, yeah, of course. And then he kind of kind of went a little bit further and I just kind of went past it. And then I, I listened to it about two or three times since then. And, and he didn't say you have to believe in God. He, well, no, he did say that. But when he said you have to believe God, I don't feel like there was enough emphasis on the have to believe God. So I think when you when you sit back and kind of really soak that part of it in, it changes the message. And that's why he said, go to, you know, go see what God has said about you. Go, 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 go see like, you know, what he calls you, like how he describes you in the Bible and the things that he's done for you. When you actually believe God, not just believe in God, believe that he exists is one thing, but actually to believe what he says of who, who he says he is and who he says you are, that changes the relationship. And I, I think that that's where we start to have those real Jesus experiences because it's like, oh, this is who God says I am. And I believe that. And I believe that because of what he was willing to do for me. I believe that because of what he's demonstrated for me and what I've seen in my life. And I think that when you fully walk that out, that relationship with God becomes completely different. It's not just a, I believe you exist, God. It's I believe I believe what you say about me. I believe I believe uh, I, I believe that you created me for a purpose. I believe that. Um, I'm made in your image. I believe that, you know, while we were yet sinners, you sent your son to die for me. I believe all of those things because I believe that that's what you're, you're telling me. And now I have that relationship. It's no longer just a story in a book. It's a fully walked out, uh, relationship. That's good. That's good. That, that you've hit on the most potent part, at least in this conversation. And that is believe God, man. It's because you're right. It was too easy to miss. I remember here. I remember hearing that and brushed by it. I knew it was impacting. I've heard that statement before and kind of resonated on it. But just as you're talking through it, I'm kind of rolling it over again. It's, it really is the idea that you've got to believe what he says about you i'm just rehashing what you just said but believe what he says about you when you start it to sounds believe way better when you say it so keep going really you think okay yeah. when you start to believe what he says about you it starts to change how you think exactly and here's the thing man you put is, that this, you put that in place of all of the uh like what michael was talking about you put that in place of all of the negative thoughts that you had about yourself absolutely. you talked about it in the very beginning you start to believe God even when you don't believe yourself. 
Yep. Like you start to believe when you you read the scripture on the righteousness of God in Christ. No, I'm not. <laughs> yes, I am. Yeah. I'm God fearfully and wonderfully made. Yeah. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. No, I'm no, no, no. Like those are the th bam, 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 those thoughts going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But if you continue to reiterate what God says, it has power over what you say. And it begins to change how you think. And that is what starts to open up doors for you to walk through, to be vulnerable, be honest with yourself, with others. Those are the things that give you the strength and the health to navigate these issues and vices we pull off, the, you know, the three W's. And then you find yourself walking free, not necessarily because you were amazing, but because you believe what God said about you. Absolutely. Well, there's one more point that I want to hit on, and then I think we can wrap it up. And I think that that Michael kind of hit on something I think we I want to say we talked about in the last podcast. And that was just talking about the importance of brotherhood, which it always comes back to that. I know. But I, I was I was really encouraged because he called it out specifically because, you know, originally he was like, man, I was so jaded on brotherhood. I didn't I really didn't think like I didn't want to hear about it anymore. I was just like I was burnt out on the idea of it. But I think he then went on to describe the true value of his brotherhood. And I think that that part is something that, you know, we're trying to point people to. I'm trying to build for myself. Uh, and I know that Michael has built that, but for him, he said it made all the difference. And, he, and, and really the point was that you need a brotherhood and you need people to know what's going on in your brain and, and to know that you're in trouble. And that's what that brotherhood's for, you know, to have men in the room that would go to battle for you. You know, this this has been, uh, you know, for me, the last couple of months, like I've had a couple of friends reach out and I've been going about into battle with them. And, it, you know, some of them are just kind of basic conversations. Some of them are, you know, life changing conversations about, you know, decisions that will impact, you know, their their next couple of years and to have a brotherhood, to have people that you reach out. And it, what what I'm finding is some of my brotherhood is not even in the state of Oklahoma. And I'm a part of somebody else's brotherhood, but, you know, maintaining those relationships, investing in those relationships and, and creating those conversations, even if you don't have anything to say, you know, uh, I think I've said this before. I, I got, I got one brother that really all I can do is stand next to him. Like, I don't, I don't know that I can say anything right now. I can't fix anything. There's nothing I can do, but I can just be there. And, 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 and sometimes that's, that's how I can, you know, be a brother to him. Because as much as I want to have the answer and, and want to be able to say something that's going to completely change his perspective and, and cause a paradigm shift and everything's going to work out, I, I, I'm not that eloquent. So I, I think some of the things that uh, we need to do as brothers is create that brotherhood through those, uh, you know, through, through tearing down some of those walls so that we're not uh, just projecting strength all the time. But at the same time, investing in, in our brotherhood uh, with the people that were around and, and going to battle with them and, and being willing to have the conversations and make time for those conversations uh, so that there's space for that so that those conversations can come up. And, you know, for me, even though I'm on the other side of some of this stuff, like I, I had a lot of gratitude in the situation because I'm like, man, I'm so glad that they trusted me to reach out. Uh, I'm so glad that they trusted me to have some of these conversations with them that I can kind of pour into them a little bit. And that's in some cases I like, well, I, I don't even know if I deserve to have that influence in their life, but man, it's, it's been, it's been really cool to have those conversations. The situations suck, but the, the to have those conversations and be there for a brother in a time of need, 
in my like that brings us that much closer together. I hope that I never have adversity. I hope that I never have to go through some of the things that they're going through. But I know that if I do, I got some brothers that uh, can really go to battle with me. And for me, that's encouraging. Lee talked about it at, uh, at Mountain Men. He said something along the lines of like they're in a room of people and, and they basically said, you know, if you had to call somebody at 3, 3 a.m. in the morning, do you have a person you could do that with? And he said it was him and like one other person that were able to raise their hand and nobody else had that. And that just that just more illustrates to me that unless you're intentional in building a brotherhood, like like we're doing, a, I think, a really good job here of presenting why you need a brotherhood. Uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully you're on board with that idea. Now it's a matter of investing in that brotherhood, creating those relationships. So and, and learning from guys like Michael who have gone through you know, the battles, they, they've walked through the valley of the shadow of death. I mean, they've literally walked through it, but they're being vulnerable. They're opening up, they're sharing their stories to say, guys, you need a brotherhood. You need these people around you. Uh, you need to believe what God says about you, because once I learned that it completely changed my life. And I think that, uh, in addition to the, the believe in God, part of this message is just as important. It says everything about brotherhood. It's the intentional, idea of building it and navigating the mistakes and the stumbles that it takes to build those friendships, build those relationships and open up to, to people and share some stuff, you know, and you, you may have to find a place, you know, we, we offer one with brotherhood, of course, a community, you know, and then those get smaller into small groups and mountain men and things like that, where you can actually get down to that grassroots level and talk through some things, you know, but just showing up in the midst of some men that are ready to pursue Jesus and be vulnerable. Sometimes just that can be a step enough to get you in a healthier place to see your life change. Yeah. And be willing to do it and be willing, be willing to to walk through that. Cause I'm sure there's been times where you, you kind of laid out, like it took a lot for you to say something. It took a lot for you to say, man, I'm really struggling in this right now. Uh, and, and being in a place where you can recognize like that took a lot for somebody to say that. Like, I, I think sometimes you're like, oh man, it, uh, you know, that's, yeah, I'm sorry to hear that, dude. That sucks. Like if, if you have that conversation, like you, it's taken you a lot to really open up to somebody and, and they kind of blow it off. It's not the end of the world. It just means that they're probably not that person for you right now. And the person that really does care about you, that person that is a brother is like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to call you tomorrow. And I'm going to call you the day after that. And I'm going to keep checking in on you. And I'm going to ask you if you need help. And you're going to tell me no. And I'm still going to check on you. And I'm going to still make sure that you're okay. That is a really good sign that you have somebody that's a brother that, that wants to wants the best for you. And they're willing to put in that time. Because they recognize what it took for you to say that. And if, if the other person just kind of is like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. And they just kind of move on no harm, no foul. Just, just move on. Like mm-hmm. it's nothing personal. It doesn't mean that they, they don't like you as a person or, or whatever else they're just, they, they're just not tuned in and probably they're more tuned into the challenges that they're going on in their life. And they're not in a place where they really can help you. You want to put yourself in a position where the people around you are, uh, have the capacity and the, and the willingness to support you through that. And that's not every person. Uh, you know, I, I can't be that for everybody. I know Matt, you can't be that for everybody. I think Lee tries, his arms are too, aren't big enough, so he can't hug that many people. So there's just, there's, there's only so much that we can do. You don't have to be Johnny Hampton's best friend to have a brotherhood. You don't have to 
to be Lee's best friend, to, to have a brotherhood. You have people around you and you, you really got to kind of uh, walk through life with them and see where they're at and their willingness to do it. Hopefully you're walking through a lot of this together so that when those situation does come up, he's like, man, I, I remember Evan talking about that. And I recognize that this is a big, this is a big moment for you. And we, we need to talk about this and I need to be there to support you. I'm going to hold you accountable. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, be, just be that shoulder for you to cry. And I'm just going to stand there and say nothing, but I'm going to stand there. I'm going to stand there every single day until you're, you tell me to go away. And I think that that's the brotherhood that we're working towards and, and really what we, we want to try to present and emulate through the capital B brotherhood. That's good. That's good. Yeah. That's a, man, that, that, that's a great way to cap it off. I mean, that really, uh, man, that's good. Yeah. I second every bit of that, man. That was eloquent, man. You've been working, you've been, uh, no. back practicing. Did you write that down? No, you came no. In? I just, I love these moments when I get you speechless and then it's like, I could tell it's sinking in. <laughs> And then you're like, how do I, how do I, how do I tweak this? How do I, how do I add to this? It's like, it, I tried. It's, it's I like, tried. yeah. <laughs> no. Ah, you know me too well. I'm Why get, is I'm this? There. I don't like I'm that. Getting there. It's because we're spending time. <laughs> Secret, se secretly, you're the brother that, that I have to stand next to all the time. I don't have anything else to say. I just stand there. So. Oh, okay. So you, you're telling stories about me. <laughs> right in front of me. Uh, wow. Okay. All yes, right. <laughs> I, yeah, it, we're, we, I've come to that level of uh, uh, mastery with it, I suppose. No, that's a that's a whole nother level right there, <laughs> man. Well, all right, man. Well, Matt, I appreciate you kind of taking the time to break this down with me. I, I think that uh, hopefully we've been able to add to some of the things that Lee and Michael talked about. Uh, as always, if we didn't, if we sucked at it, go back and listen to the first one, because I think they actually did a pretty good job. Um, but beyond that, you know, Brotherhood Breakfast is every the first Friday of every month for the most part. You know, make sure you're there. Make sure that like, you know, that's a great way to immerse yourself in the brotherhood or get introduced to a brotherhood. Uh, if you can't join, make sure you check out the podcast. Make sure that you're sharing some of this stuff with the guys that are uh, kind of a part of your group. And uh, we're excited to continue to dive. We actually have the next brotherhood tomorrow. Like our whole schedule got messed up with the snowstorm. So we're, we're a little bit off in the frequency of, of these yeah. podcasts, but it's tomorrow. So hopefully we'll see you guys there. Brothers, remember, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. We'll catch you on the next podcast. Mm -hmm.